John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 1376.mt0715, certificate number 53773. Up with people. Ken, how would you describe clean cut? <laughs> what does clean cut mean to you? Somebody just sent me a link of uh, the Osmonds singing with Cher. They're doing a Stevie Wonder uh, medley. They're lip syncing. And they are just marching in place with their big, goofy, you know, inch tall smiles. Um, And at some point uh, on higher ground, you know, the part where Stevie sings, Soldiers keep on marching, or whatever, mm-hmm. some anti Vietnam part of it. Keep on the Osmonds and Cher all salute to the camera wow. like they're in a road performance of On the Town. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. That's the high watermark of clean cut American <laughs> culture. Like, <laughs> and I guess this is the era we're going to be talking about where, where we're trying to embrace the things that the young people like, but actually put a clean cut Navy salute on them. Well, yeah. Today's show is so complicated. It's really because because at first blush, this is one of those things where we have decided uh, we've retconned a certain thing and have decided that clean cut is is equivalent to unreflective, dull, white specifically, um, Christian kind of. Um, I didn't say any of that. That Osmond's clip was. was a- banger <laughs> yeah a banger right and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of banging clean cut action am i the am i this show. show expert on clean cut culture is that why you asked me well no because there's um you know clean cut what's the origin of that it seems like it's got to be a post juvenile delinquency way for adults to refer to the good ones well it does it just feels like a haircut description exactly right you don't you don't have anything around your shoulders or your ears right you've got a nice crew cut like god intended the young people to have but you know there's nothing intrinsic to that that's necessarily confined to white americans right anybody can have I think there's a clean hair. I feel like there's many racist ways to say what a clean cut young man. It's, yes. Isn't it the equivalent of uh, articulate? <laughs> exactly right. Uh, 
Um, but you know, I think I have a, although I have a very shaggy mane, mm-hmm. I don't mean M, I don't mean just M A N E. I mean, M I E N as oh, well. I see. Mane. I have a shaggy mane. I always say, I always say that as a, uh, uh what a homophone with mean. Oh, mean. Is that how you say M I E N? It might just be men. It's mean. Mean. And yeah. what did I say? Main? Main, men. You've been trying all the vowels. Yeah, that's right. That's my problem. That's your whole mean, is, <laughs> it not, is. is not knowing how to pronounce things. My mean is that my main is mean. It must come from the same root as demeanor, because it's like the yeah. it's the middle syllable of demeanor. Yeah, it's a character or a mood. But even so, you know, my preppy uh, uh, sort of aff- aff- affinity you sure do a lot of shows about clean cut culture for I somebody do. for somebody who does hates to shave. I know who sits around, you know, baked on on uh, ferns. You're not actually baked anymore. I'm not baked. You're just surrounded by bags of baked lays. I have a lot of ferns, and uh, and that we should do a show on the ferns of the '70s and '80s. Did we? Didn't we do some show that it was fern bar adjacent? Yeah, no, we had we, fern mania. Did we talk about fern bars? Maybe we fern bar, Maybe fern bars came up in the fern mania. Yeah, we must have. Well, this show actually harkens back to a show we've done before, um, which was the show on Bill W. and Alcoholics Anonymous. And I remember in doing that show, I spent a lot of time talking about the Oxford group. And at the end of the show, I felt... We barely got to AA. Yeah, it was you're, a little you're like a, you're like an elementary school teacher just getting to World War II. Exactly. And then... And then the, there was AA. The Germans, and then it was over. Uh, yeah, and so I felt at the time I had done, I'd, give, I'd given AA short shrift because I'd spent so much time trying to describe the Oxford Group, which it's, led up it's to precursor. It. And the Oxford Group is uh, also factors in today uh, to a much larger degree as the precursor to Up with People. Interesting. Up with People, a thing that you would not initially think had much in common with Alcoholics Anonymous. Remind me, the Oxford group is kind of a, um, it's like a quasi-Anglican outfit? No, so so a lot of this uh, dovetails with the um, the kind of evangelical American Christian era of the 19th century where everybody had, uh, everybody had their own opinion and everybody had a new religion. Um, yes. And a lot of it was charismatic. A lot of it was evangelical, or most most of it, I think, sort of based in a in ver- varying interpretations of how closely you could have a relationship with God, how much intermediary ministering you needed. And from a time when evangelicism didn't have its t- modern shorthand association with a certain kind of conservative politics, right? Right. It was it was uh, often very utopian and very much about freeing yourself from the shackles of not just Rome, but from the shackles of even needing a minister or, uh, or any intermediary. And a lot of it uh, at, the, at the end of the 19th century started to take the form of a kind of internationalist and uh, like as a, uh, as a gateway to world peace, anti-racism, um, a supranational outlook rather than a than a nationalistic out uh, outlook but all through jesus through jesus right initially um through 
a kind of uh, the idea that conversion was just the first step that mm. you would that you would have your you would you would be saved, but then it it was not sufficient to be saved. That now you needed to live a not a, not necessarily a Christian life, but a, but a good life. Build a better world, not Build, not just in the life to come, but you got to start here and now. Right, a personal relationship with God that then would influence you to be a a better person, and that that um, that if each of us individually strove to be better people, that was actually the solution to the sort of fear and selfishness that drove war and nationalism and inequality, racism. Um, and as the, as the years progressed through, you know, the various expressions of this idea. No one, by the way, is going to believe that religion was once thought of as the antidote to these things. Right. It's, a, it's one of the an unfortunate idea, things. An idea yeah. that we were raised with because, you know, coming through the civil rights era and Gandhi, it was, you know, those ideas would go hand in hand. Um, less so for the rising generation today. Yeah, it's a it's it's tragedy, right? That that uh, everything that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. This was a time when Christianity was was um, in America and in England seen as a, a, a like a reformist force and and a and a philosophical one that is not. A liberal, a, a literal interpretation of the Bible, but a very liberal interpretation of the Bible. It turned out if we just have six guys, six rich guys with hot pool boys running the whole thing, you get a very different outcome. So we talked about this in in the AA um, uh, episode, but a man by the name of Frank Bookman uh, started a, a group called the Oxford Group. He was inspired, you know, he was a Lutheran who was kind of experimenting with all of these new religious ideas. He went to Wales and kind of happened into a a speech being given by uh, a Welsh evangelical woman by the name of Jessie Penn Lewis, who had similarly had a a very personal conversion and had become a charismatic speaker. She was attracting big crowds in England with, um, you know, with this kind of, visionary idea and and Buckman was really inspired by it and came back to the United States and started um started promulgating this idea that that there was no need for a central church there was no need for any mediation each person could have a personal relationship and he 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 went on this sort of grand tour and and these ideas were very uh sort of eagerly embraced. Seems by, like they would play well in America, right? They do. A nation of individualists, probably skeptical for racist reasons of a, of a central Italian pope. Well, uh, yeah, e- right. E- eager to say, eager to say, no, no, I get to do what I want. Uh, and, uh, I'll, I'll make the call of what God says. But, but really the, Bookman saw through that kind of selfishness, mm. like he, selfishness and fear were the two things that he felt like kept mankind from uh, living a, a selfless life, right? And, and, and one that saw no national borders, saw no, 
gradually encompassing all people so that there was no, you know, so racism or no race. Right. And, and also it was a kind of, um, it intruded into all, all, not just walks of life, but all contemporary social problems, including, uh, labor disputes. This was a, this was a way where labor and management could understand and make common cause with each other because the dispute between labor and management was a dispute born of selfishness and fear rather than intrinsic Marxist dispute between labor and capital, right? It was not necessarily antagonistic according to the kind of bookman and ultimately what was described as the Oxford group. Is the idea that this is an antidote to Marxist revolution and potential future labor uprisings because you could... An antidote to you could Marxist revolution, but also a very active opponent of national socialism. Okay. Um, again, a kind of globalist. Um, and he he was very influenced by the lead up to World War One and the tragedy in World War One. But um, but the these ideas became very popular not just with uh, with religious. Uh, scholars and whatnot and 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 uh and philosophers but became very popular with both organized labor and large corporations american politicians it spread to europe it spread to africa it it became a global movement it's a time with more religion in the public sphere yeah so it's not controversial you know you're kind of relying on a baseline that everybody is like well obviously we all believe in a vaguely Christian God yes. and gospel. So let's work from that on the world's problems. And in the 20s and 30s, the Oxford group grew in popularity and distribution, you know, uh, uh, and sort of um, acceptability to the point that it was a, it was a major uh, a driving force in Western culture. Uh, Just by virtue of the CEOs on its mailing list and stuff like that? And heads of state. Yeah. Um, Bachmann traveled to Nazi Germany. Uh, he met three times with Himmler, trying to get the Nazis to reform and understand that their policies were... Uh, that's utopianism. It was to believe that you know if I could just get Himmler's ear. But he, he Bachmann was one of the or Buckman was one of the first people to come back and say definitively the Nazis are unreformable and they are you know and it was a very black and white way of thinking. There was good and there was evil. You could pursue good to fail to do that was you know led to a, a course of evil. He called the Nazis out right away. Um, in 1938, a lot of people got gold by them. So yeah, that's right. I guess it in it's to their credit in 38, he he sort of formally formally coalesced the Oxford Group as a as a non hierarchical sort of movement of people that and and a lot of the tenants are the ones that became Alcoholics Anonymous. The uh, meeting to discuss meet, meeting in a circle to and each person goes around and sort of confesses the ways in which they are not living up to the 
to their ideal. The four tenets of is this kind of the idea of how their how their mediations would go if if uh, if the Oxford Group was in charge of international relations or business labor disputes or well, it, well, would, it would be a it was never a, it was never a desire there. for there to be uh, an Oxford Group that was in charge of anything, but that through this process of pursuing the, these four things: absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. Four things they knew they could, no one could ever achieve absolute honesty, purity, unselfishness, and love. But it's something to shoot for. You don't want to shoot shoot for 30% love and honesty. Yeah. Or like zero honesty, 10% purity. Like shoot for absolute. Maybe you get to, you know, 68% love, 42% honesty. It's not so bad. And this felt like every sort of efficiency movement of the time (laughs) that we've talked about. Right. It, 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 it. It appealed to people because there wasn't really no realm you couldn't apply these these theories to. Um, I, I misspoke a second ago. I said that that Bookman had had established the Oxford Group in 1938. That's not true. The Oxford Group uh, dates, you know, all the way back 19th to, century. Right in 1938, what he did was sort of rename or evolve. The Oxford Group into something called the Moral Rearmament. Um, he saw that Europe was rearming to fight this catastrophe, and he after the utopian dream of post war post World War One disarmament, right? And he 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 waded into the public square, saying, "What we need is a moral rearmament, mm. not an, a, a literal one." And so, in nineteen thirty nine. Uh, Mayor LaGuardia of New York declared the second week of May Moral Rearmament Week, and 14,000 people showed up to a rally at Madison Square Garden to cheer the idea of moral rearmament as a as a, a thing that had just been coined. Yeah, as a as a uh, as an antidote to uh, to Nazism and to global catastrophe. Uh, but inter- thir- interestingly, this is not the kind of um, reactionary movement you might expect in other areas. If somebody declared a moral rearmament. Nobody's like, let's ban liquor. Right. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's, um, it's one saying, let's not even ban war, but let's avoid war by each of us focusing on our moral, um, our, our personal spiritual Health, right, and lives. It seems like we're doing a speed run through the AA show again, but this time it seems like we're actually going to get to the topic. Yeah, one of these days. We're on. Uh, you're on pace. Um, that same year, thirty thousand people showed up at the Hollywood Bowl supporting moral rearmament. Yeah, but you can get thirty thousand people there for Billy Joel. So, uh, no, not that many. Will thirty thousand people even fit in the yeah, Hollywood? Well, that's Bowl? That's what I was saying. They're all sitting and standing on each other's shoulders, or something. Isn't that like an extra zero for how many? Maybe people. <laughs> You must have really packed him in for moral rearmament. Maybe they took out the chairs and, yeah, it was just like a, a punk rock show. Maybe they were just up going up all the way into the Hollywood Hills there. They they couldn't get close enough to moral rearmament. But it became a global idea. Um, Daphne du Maurier, the author, wrote Re- a— Rebecca. Re- Rebecca? Yeah. Uh, the Birds. Right. Best-selling author of the time. Wrote a book called Come Wind, Come Weather, espousing— MRA ideas it sold 650,000 copies in the UK alone, but not, 
It sounds like men's rights activist ideas, but back then MRA meant something different. Right, not men's rights activist. Daphne du Maurier, not an incel, although maybe, um, what's his name, Maxim de Winter is a bit of, a, a bit of an incel. Hmm. No. And he keeps murdering his wives. Uh, so then the war starts, and throughout the war, the moral rearmament movement is still active in, uh, and active in the minds of the Western powers. The Nazis wrote, you know, they discovered at the end of the war that the Gestapo had been fixated on um, moral rearmament as a as a global force against Nazis, like a global threat. Like they're yeah. worried about Jewry and communists and the MRA. moral rearmament. But huh. the uh, Soviet communism and the Marxist ideologues also really against the moral rearmament movement because it had supplanted the, the dialectic purity, yeah. of, uh, of labor versus capital with this sort of good versus evil dichotomy. This could that, slow down the international proletariat revolution. Exactly. So it was, you know, it was opposed by both. So this movement enters the mid century smelling like a rose because it's, it's hated by both the Nazis and the Stalinists at the end of the war. The and the you know the moral rearmament people had a lot of different experiences during the war. Some of them were conscientious objectors. There were a lot of them went a lot of adherents of this doctrine went in and fought on the Allied side. But at the end of the war, um, a group of them bought an old hotel, like a rundown hotel in Coe, Switzerland, mm-hmm. which they um, they used as a kind of meeting place for heads of state as part of the uh, the reconciliation process after the war and are credited because the hotel was visited by the heads of state of both Germany and France multiple times as part of a uh, using the principles of the Oxford group to to reconcile France and Germany and is sort of credited and was credited at the time credited even by Truman as playing a major role in the, um, it's so crazy how this is a perfect, you know, group running shadowy political conferences for a position of great power. And we never talk about them. They got, they got shafted in the conspiracy theory, uh, discourse, you know, and Buckman was awarded the, the Legion to honor. He was awarded the German order of merit. Like he was, uh, he was a global figure. Um, and the, the moral rearmament movement then started to, uh, they had always attracted and, uh, and appealed to in a kind of Scientologist way, even uh, they felt like their industrialist and political adherents were a way to appeal to a greater, you know, sort of, common understanding right if i feel like no group is immune from that yeah like as soon as somebody in your group is in the spotlight it's like hey you know who we should ask and you know uh uh, the firestone family in akron akron was where alcoholics anonymous started and part of that process was one of the firestone sons was an alcoholic and became an oxford group adherent and and was cured of his alcoholism. And so the Firestone family then became major supporters of moral rearmament. But so did a lot of corporate benefactors, including 
Exxon and Kodak and and these principles then were used as uh, within uh, those companies as kind of methods. Again, as you were saying, Christianity was uncontroversial. But I missed my chance to do my little Harvey Firestone bit. Oh, you're Har- Harvey. 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 <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Harvey Firestone. Harvey Firestone. Okay, there we go. But at this point, Bookman was moving away from Christianity. Oh. And starting to espouse is the idea that the is a broader appeal if he's more if he's secular. No, if, it's not that he's uh, he truly believes that this relationship with God is non-denominational, and it appeals to Hindus and Confucians and Muslims. I guess it, I guess it makes sense if it's a true world movement, right? You don't want to be shackled by the fact that only a quarter of the globe is going to be on board with, yeah, your, he says, with your premises. What color is God's skin? And this was during then a period, of course, where colonialism was coming unraveled. And a lot of the— Suddenly you have to negotiate with the, with the brown and black people on the other side of the table. But, but a lot of leaders of those countries are also very influenced by this idea because they're also— they're, forming new governments, and a lot of them trying to form secular governments that are, that still, you know, have religiosity, that are able to use those powers, but to make uh, new governments that are not strictly governed by by the religious figure in that country rather than the secular one. Which wouldn't make a lot of sense in East Asia, for example. Right. Well, Muhammad... Uh, the fifth of Morocco, king of Morocco, uh, heaped praise on uh, the the uh, MRA and and said that they play, that the the ideas of the moral rearmament movement played a large role in the democratization, such as it was, of Morocco. We need a compatible with Islam um, sign that we can hold up. Yeah, compatible with Islam, but it it, it was also like very. Uh, influential in Japan, um, the Minister of Education in Australia was an, uh, like a vocal adherent, um, cardinals of the Catholic Church. I assume it's just on a nuts and bolts level. The principles are a pretty good way to run a meeting. It's the same thing that AA people have discovered, right? Exactly. Like right. That's, that, it, it, it tends to work, or at least it, it did in that time frame. And it, and it really, I don't know, I mean, you, it, having had an AA epiphany— Right, you have these. If you are able to inspire a personal epiphany in someone, which often is just a simple matter of, for the first time ever, being exposed to the power of a room full of strangers, right. where you go around the room and each person confesses their sins. King Mohammed the Fifth, Morocco has hit rock bottom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, how are you? How are you? You know, you sit and you listen to five other people go like, "Oh, I look like I'm doing good, but I'm really not." And there's a liberation in it, you know, that that can inspire then a, a hot white light. Yeah, it seems like the absolute honesty is a pretty important part of the just what makes people believe in the process. Right. Um, so by the late 50s, early 60s, this movement was, it's astonishing that we never have, we, we have never heard of it. It's like all those strange things that we talk about on this show where it's like, well, in, in its day, this sold 10 million copies. Cover a Time magazine every month. You have never, nobody has mentioned it in 50 years. No one's ever heard of it. But at the time, 
Eisenhower and Nixon and Halliburton used it. It was that's how you know it's good. Yeah, if you got exactly. Nixon and Halliburton, um, and Eisenhower actually there was a there was a young so uh, what would what you what'd you call it uh, not a, it had no administration really so it was a young devotee an active uh youth member by the name of Jay Blanton Belk now there's no one named Jay Blanton Belk anymore that's a good mid-century american name it does feel like Jay Blanton Belk is where you would start all his number 2 pencils lined up neatly on the desk but Eisenhower said, look, MRA is starting to feel a little dusty, a little cobwebby. And this is after Eisenhower's out of office, right? As he's sort of in his declining statesman years. Um, and the youth movement of the 1960s is starting to uh, be seen as a social force. The civil rights movement is now dominating the national conversation. But youth and counterculture and protest is starting to be a, a more visible um, element and, and, a, and a threatening one. And Eisenhower says to Belk, look, the, the ideas of moral rearmament are applicable here, but the, the trappings of it seem very much a prior generation. You need to hip it up. I love the idea of Eisenhower as a Don Draper type telling a room full of people, you know what really rearms morals and then he turns the flipboard on the easel <laughs> and what it's do, this kid and what do we have kids in turtlenecks you're gonna hire anybody anytime soon john do you need, a, need to do you need a file clerk or a junior assistant uh gardener i need an executive assistant i need my executive assistant to have any an assistant sure i mean that reflects well on you if they do yeah that's right if you want to call me you call my executive assistant's assistant Try and get on the, the big board. It just frees up. It frees up their time to see to your needs if they have an executive assistant. But the thing is, I have had an incredibly hard time finding somebody great. Hiring is hard. Hiring's hard. It's a tough labor market right now. I don't think my dream hiring platform already exists. You know, I hear that all the time. People come up to me on the street and say, "Ken, I love you on Jeopardy." I'm afraid my dream hiring platform doesn't exist, and yeah. I always tell them the same thing, what? John. You need Indeed. And they walk away sorrowing. Go on. What is Indeed? Are you telling me it's the hiring platform where you can attract interview and hire all in one place? It's crazy that you took all that from what I just said, but that's exactly right. A lot of people, when they're hiring, they spend hours on multiple job platforms trying to assemble a hodgepodge of candidates because they want a certain set of skills. But Indeed's the single partner that's so powerful, you can do it all in one place. Look, my time is... Just as valuable as yours. Especially I, now because you don't have an executive assistant. I know. And although I, maybe I get a, a, a lower hourly rate, it doesn't mean that the time itself isn't valuable. Just as valuable. Psychologically, but, it's just as valuable. It depends on how you how you uh, you know uh, assign value to things. Right. Right? Is it just money? No. Not compatible with Marxism. But, but, uh, they, they have time-saving tools, John. If you, if you use the Indeed instant match, yeah. then you get... Eight, like 80% of all employers get quality candidates with matching resume qualifications the moment they post their job. Whoa. Uh, they have assessments, which is a thing where candidates can take like any selection of 135 assessment tests yeah. to prove that they have the 
executive assistant or junior gardener skills that you're looking for. I'm going to go check out those assessment tests and see which ones best apply to working for me. I'm going to start taking them all just for fun. (laughs) There's even virtual interviews. Um, And you only pay for applications when they have met your must-have requirements. Indeed sounds like an unbelievably powerful hiring partner. Three million businesses worldwide use it, and they deliver four times more hires than all other job sites combined. You are shooting your endeavor in the foot, metaphorically, Hmm. Mm -hmm. if you're not using Indeed. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Offer good for a limited time. That's a $75 credit. You should claim it now at Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Indeed.com slash Omnibus. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jay Blanton Belk started a group called Up With People, which was a musical and dance company that was meant as an antidote to what was perceived as the negativity of the counterculture, anti-war, beatnik. I wonder if is that really what they thought the problem was? That they were all they were all a bummer? I guess the idea is it's nihilistic, right? The, yeah. the beatniks are all existentialists smoking their French cigarettes and telling you nothing matters. Yeah, if you think about what it would what, what Dylan or um you know the stand-up comedians of the early 60s Lenny Bruce how that would have read to even people in their 30s uh, who were coming out off of a decade of economic expansion and the the American century it would have seemed nihilistic and counterproductive um and the the thing about up with people is it was overtly multiculturalist. Whoa. It was uh, avidly for racial equality. It was for supranationalism. So it's not like, let's submarine the emerging civil rights movement by making something else seem cooler. The opposite. It is, let's focus on the positivity of the civil rights movement and leave the negativity behind. During the Watts riots... (laughs) Uh, the Up With People troupe went to Watts and performed music and dance. And this is a multiracial cast of people. We're picturing some Sesame Street-looking cast. It's it's white, it's black, there's Chicano singers. That's it's, right, people from India, people from Japan. They're all... Oh, it's it's a small world, even. It's it, like... It's, it's absolutely, it's a small I world. I love that kind of mid-century global utopianism. And, and it's like, clean cut and dancing with like two thumbs up positivity, right? Which was in kind of dramatic contrast to the counterculture movements. If you think about the anti-war movement, it was, there were pretty clear racial divides yeah. within it. You know, there were the white college kids and then it was all the, the black, black people doing drafted, the fighting, yeah. right? And Native American kids doing the fighting. So this was this alternate vision of the 60s that incorporated the go-go boots sort of fun uh, laugh-in even kind of, I mean, there was enough humor in it, but without any of the, you know, our dads don't know what the what the truth is. I mean, there's a tendency to see it as just a, a shallow and superficial and cynical co-opting of certain signifiers of the youth movement 
to actually maintain the interests of the power structures involved. Um, but you're making it sound like it's a little more than that. Like the people who are really running it are still thinking, hey, there, you know, there is a better world to be served. It's just, it's not going to happen with these dour, gloomy, beat poet and delinquent types. The interesting thing is that we, particularly on the left, have spent, we've spent so much time and energy uh, developing the idea that, and this is going to sound like an apologia, but it's not, I'm just philosophizing, but that our opponents are purely, and I'm talking about Richard freaking Nixon here, are purely motivated by a desire to rip off the public by by you know sequestering the money stealing the oil promoting cynically promoting uh, control uh and you know mind control and and economic domination perpetuating drug addiction through the CIA you know we just have this whole vision of our opponents on the right as being absolutely corrupt and it's so hard for us to think that nixon had a vision of the world where he, there were elements where he was really interested in the positivity of some kind, right? That he believed there was a future that, that yeah. you know, incorporated freedom. And, no, and, nobody's bombing Cambodia for nihilistic reasons. <laughs> exactly. no, no, I'm serious. Yeah, but, right. but they've got a dream. It's like, we absolutely believe these poor peasants need our our. Guns and steel. Yeah, and global communism is a true threat to freedom, and all you know, right. all these ideas that are that are just as notional as the ones that we have of what what freedom constitutes or means. So it's a it's very hard to look at up with people and incorporate all of what we would think of as tremendously progressive ideas within it. How radical they might have seemed to an ABC primetime audience. And think of them because they're in such contrast to what we consider to be the heroes of that time who were like, smash it all, man, you know, like man, the barricades. But yeah, it's true. Angry white Southern dads would have been just as mad about black and white 20 somethings dancing together on, right. On TV. And if you, you know, if you think about what, if you look at like a, any kind of footage of the Rolling Stones in 1965, if you look across yeah, the not, crowd, they're not leading a movement. No, it's all white kids, you know, that are that are in suits and ties. Yeah. And up with people shows up, and they're and it's a multicultural cast, right? It's like a and it and this it, reminds me of the Guardian Angels show, where yeah. what we think of as a voice of conservatism is actually like, you know, deeply appealing to a to a broader audience because of clever framing and uh, and actual problems on the ground. Yeah, it, it's um. And, and and as I as I'm advocating for this yeah, this way of seeing, you're kind of a fan, John. Well, I'm I'm also personally struggling to try and put myself in a moment because I if you watch up with people performances uh, on YouTube now, which I highly recommend everybody do, they are so corny by our contemporary standards because that uh, because that idea of the the Coca Cola commercial. Mm-hmm then became the Book of Mormon musical or the... But at the time, this was just mainstream variety show programming, right? It wasn't that different. It wasn't, and it and it was being promoted by Kodak and Exxon and Halliburton and Nixon and George Bush Sr. 
Um, and so we, again, we, we, uh, uh, ascribe to those people terrible motives. And so this seems like part of a brainwashing mind control program to get us all to, wow. you know, it might also be bad art when you compare it to whatever, some Rolling Stones record of the same era. It's terribly bad art, but I wouldn't say it was any worse than the Moody Blues. <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> and I love the Moody Blues. Don't get me wrong. Spencer Davis group. You know, there's a lot of right. like stuff that's right on the cusp of it, right? But if you've got Aretha Franklin, the voice, you know, the voice of a certain kind of civil rights movement on the one hand, you don't need Up With People singing about a sunnier future, right? Well, except that Up With People was embraced across a wide spectrum and and a, and a, a incredibly diverse segment of the population yeah but you just keep naming nixon and halliburton well, and kodak those are the ones <laughs> those are the ones that that had the money behind it, right yeah. but they became a, they, they seemed apolitical to the to the viewer they did and it was the type of thing and it's it's sort of like do you remember when you watch the lawrence welk show and all of a sudden they've got people in crazy flowered costumes and the guys have longer hair clearly yeah clearly they've gotten the network note this was a way that you could introduce of uh onto national television some of the look and feel of the youth movement of the 60s but in a way that didn't um you know that didn't it wasn't it wasn't like having dylan bring any of their ideals yeah it didn't have any of the um it wasn't like john lennon sitting with uh with dick cavett and you know and saying provocative things about religion yeah exactly this was and and it felt Christian, honestly. Whether it personally espoused Christianity, by this point in time, it was a global movement that was, you know, the pan uh, faith, pantheism. But it felt good and clean and cardigan sweatery. I mean, even if there's nothing malicious about it, you can see why any corporate interest is going to be what has the broadest audience. What's the most broadly appealing message that will not be a black eye in the face of uh, Kodak or uh, a Mana or a Mana dishwashers or whoever the sponsor is? I mean, there's always going to be a race to what looks appealing. Yeah, and and that appeal, the cardigan sweater alternate universe of the late '60s, early '70s, is. Sometimes you'll you'll see footage from that era, and you'll you'll think, well, now I know that's nineteen sixty nine. Did Kent State not happen here? Yeah, because <laughs> like their sideburns are a little longer, <laughs> right. right? But this seems so like, uh, and it's not Dean Martin show spilling his drink on his tux. It's this it's this alternate universe. It's it's uh, in a way the sitcoms of the early seventies, other than uh, the All in the Family, the Mary Tyler Moore show, or you know, there's they're dealing with major issues of race and class and culture, but they're doing it in a way that with a laugh track and with a kind of, you know, broadly appealing. People are going to watch the action movies of today and be like, oh, hey, this superhero movie has some kind of cryptic uh, Trump era call out or right. some cryptic response to the pandemic or um, I see that. What, what is with this weird alternate universe 21st century? That's exactly what we see when we look at the, these shows. So Up With People not only performed in Watts, but they went to Belfast 
in the height of the troubles and did and solved the whole thing. Their song and dance Oxford group up with people vibe in <laughs> uh, in the center of the yeah, of the of 1974 Belfast. It would be funny if they could just be so bad they would just piss off everyone equally. You know, Protestants and Catholics find common ground in saying, you know, what is this shite? Well, I can only imagine having watched multiple shows, uh, that being the feeling of anybody who's coming at it from an art or hip place. But these are these were big spectacles. Yeah. Hundreds of people on stage, all dancing with one-inch smiles, like you're saying, just big and and the choreography was very open. They're doing know. kind of tight, well well structured dances. Yeah, and these people over here twirling while this group of people over here is snapping their fingers. You know, it's it's very Broadway. Am I right that there's a Super Bowl connection? So yeah, that comes. They oh sorry, so I didn't mean to jump. In eighty by eighty six, they'd gone to the USSR before Billy Joel. Um, wow. They had, when you're politically ahead of Billy Joel. <laughs> they had performed for all the presidents. They'd performed at all probably the, the Republican, fairs. Probably the Republican one. No, no. I, well, I mean, think, that was an era of Republican yeah, presidents. But, what if there's a four-year interregnum during the Carter years where nobody saw up with people? I'm pretty sure they did. Uh, saw People saw up with people because they had multiple TV specials. They went to Munich after the massacre at the olympics wow and performed a reconciliation concert for the olympians it seems like this is a, a number that everybody's got on speed dial like we got to get up with people up with in people. here like in the next 48 hours and i have no idea whether it's up with people that are making those calls or whether <laughs> the world is like well how, how do we solve it? let's get up with people if there's going to be some kind of show there's got to be some kind of entertainment or music like who is who do you who can you count on not to be you know, alienating to anyone. If you think about the pan uh, religion of Up With People, it's astonishing that they performed for four popes. They performed three separate times for Paul. They performed 10 times for John Paul. That's just by virtue. It's not that he's a bigger fan. He was just pope for a long time. He was pope for a long time. But 10 times he sat... In his white chair. I'm sure that's more times than he saw AHA. And watched Up With People do something, you know, in Vatican Square. What did they do? Was there any kind of spoken word? Were they were they ever like, hey man, International Brotherhood is groovy? Like, would they say stuff like that? There was a, there was a narrator that would kind of, you know, do a thing. But mostly there was a band and a chorus and, uh, and the chorus danced. There were some dancers that were more dancers than chorus. There were mm-hmm. some chorus that were more chorus than dancers. Um... You know, there was a kind of core rock group core. Oh, there's somebody playing guitar and Guitars drums. Guitars and there. drums and basses and, huh. and keyboards to kind of it's it's you know propulsive. It's not it's not lip sync. No. Well on TV. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh so they put the, over the course of their careers career as a group, they put out what I counted to be at least twenty seven LPs. Wow. So like they're three times as influential as the Beatles. <laughs> and that uh starting in so now we'll talk about the Super Bowl connection. When professional football started, this is another thing that's very hard to uh grok. Yeah. Professional football was so overshadowed in popularity by college football that it seemed like this like amateur hour 
like side distraction. What Americans really cared about was Michigan State versus Ohio State, and why would they care about Detroit versus Cleveland? Um, so funny. In terms of, you know, what was the big television? So people are trying big, goofy, like the Super Bowl is a marketing stunt yeah. to try to get professional football in front of more eyeballs. But here's what's crazy. Until 1976, the Super Bowl halftime show was marching bands. Haven't we? Haven't we said this before? The first ever Super Bowl halftime performer, Carol Channing? Well, the first... It would be, be very hard to get her on the show today. The first ever major music act that wasn't a marching band was Up With People. Hmm. In 1976, they... Super, perf- Super Bowl 10. Super Bowl like. 10 in Miami. They performed a big production and Up With People this were... This is Bicentennial, by the way. Another right. a, Another Bicentennial blip. They were uh, they were the first people to ever put. Um, they they invented a whole lot of show business technology for playing stadium shows that had. Oh, did rock stars not play stadiums? At they the were starting to right. They, this was the era where bands were getting so big that they needed. I mean, the Beatles obviously had played Shea Stadium and and big venues like that, but by all accounts. The sound in the cheap seats was not super good. I can't imagine anybody would say, "Oh, I, I loved the sound of the Beatles at Shea Stadium." This was an Even era the Beatles where couldn't hear the Beatles. Yeah, right. You know, the Grateful Dead had been working on major sound systems for a long time by that point, but up with people were the first to wheel out into the center of the stadium. You know, massive speaker columns to really put on the show and make it overwhelming, right? They've been working on the technical side. Yeah, they put lights up that, you know, like like Klieg lights and had cells and curtains over them so that they could be revealed as the big pow at at, uh, center field. If only Dow Corning or whoever had a closer relationship with the who. Right. You know, history could have been different, but up with people got there first. So I watched the entirety of the 19... So they continued... What happened to Up With People is that throughout the 1970s, they were really mainstream and and very... Um, a, 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 continued to be a kind of prominent answer or alternative to counterculture, both activism agitation, but also like counterculture religion, the kind of back to Jesus hippie thing. Um, this was a, a, a way that you could be pro multi multiculturalism, pro civil rights up with people. Ken, can we talk about how funny the name is people? The name seems like it's engineered to be impossible to argue with by Madison Avenue. Like what you, you don't think you're not in favor of people? Up with people. There's a lyric in the original song, Up with People, from 1965, that says, inside of everyone, there's some bad and some good. Makes you think. But don't let anybody start attacking peoplehood. 
I'm so tired of everybody out there who's attacking peoplehood. Well, now, when you think about, like, what is peoplehood, yeah. right? They're really on to something here, Ken. Peoplehood. See, I don't think they are. Don't be against... Well, because you're against peoplehood. No, you, it's just, true all it, it the just time. seems like a mishmash of word salad designed to convince people that they're hearing something empowering or positive without actually giving them anything to stand for, any actual action they need to take or change they need to make in their lives. This could be said also of the first five Dylan records, <laughs> except it's a mishmash of words that inspires people to, I don't even know what. What some, does it inspire people to Some of those people do? burned their draft card. Yeah, drink what, coffee. What is the, up with people? <laughs> I don't know. What did, what did they burn? Nothing. A bunch, a bunch of uh, Benson and Hedges. I, I just went to see Elton John. What are any of those words about? <laughs> horny back toads like it's it's impossible to know i noticed that the first up with people super bowl show has philadelphia freedom in the medley that's a that's a that's an elton john bernie Taupin song about oh, tennis i love that song because i remember it from the bicentennial and because you love tennis and i love elton john um what happened at the so what by the 1980s right the reagan revolution reframed the uh, white bread, mainstream, clean cut response to co- counterculturalism in a way that there did not, there was no longer a place for right. the kind now, of. That was weaponized. Like you actually need to be on the side of the. Right. Of what? Mike Love singing at the, at the Washington Mall. It was no longer a utopian vision of uh, world peace that we wanted. It was back to. It, it did incorporate the sort of good versus evil dichotomy that was so present in the Oxford group, mm-hmm. but re but but let's return to fear and selfishness by by casting one half of the yeah. world as evil it's and a, one half as good. Our political enemies are are excluded from peoplehood. So up with people then became up with some people <laughs> up with up with people up with itself, rich people. It became well. This is the this is the this is the thing, right? Uh, that was the Reagan. The Reagan idea was, yeah, up with, up with white people, up with us, yeah. against you, up with people as a group. Continued, um, continued along with its utopian vision. It just became less and less. Uh, well, it wasn't funded by Kodak and Exxon anymore. They. It was no longer a tool for geopolitical anything. Yeah, they were. Uh, Exxon was busy um, dumping oil in the. promoting war in the Middle East. Uh, up with people started to charge tuition to join the group. So, as a young person, you paid to be in Up with. It was like School of Rock yeah. or something. Yeah, it was a. It was a mission. Wait, is, has it been recycling, re, you know, cycling through members all these years like Menudo? It's, yeah. It's not like a core group that's now in their 50s. No, no, no. It's always, it's it, it, people join for a year or up, a up year with, or two. Up with new people. It's a kind of college in a way. Um, they. Yeah, I went to UWP. I, and, and there are a lot of people who spent a year, a lot of. A lot of people that went on to be famous. Future famouses did their, because it's kind of like their showbiz training, right? Right. They, they over the years, they had over 22,000 members of Up With People. Oh, is, does that mean there's little regional Up With Peoples? I'm in the Up With Peoples in Northern Florida. No, Up With People bought a, um, you know, at, the moral rearmament group, in addition to buying that hotel in Switzerland, they also bought one in Michigan. 
And the hotel in Michigan, which was on Mackinac Island, um, is it Mackinac? Yeah, I think Mackinac. I think Michigan gets mad if you don't say Mackinac. Mackinac Island. Um, it became a kind of up with people headquarters, and then a, a, a sort of college, Mackinac College. There's like a campus, like a it, yeah. It's it's becoming more like a cult, not less. Right, and <laughs> and there are people that would yeah for sure call it a cult. Um, they made over fourteen thousand visits to. 73 countries and of the 22,000 people that went through up with people they came from over 138 countries jeez so people went to up with people because of their peoplehood but by the mid 70s it started to tuition started to rise in order to be a member of up with people and by the 80s it cost as much to spend a year at at up with people as it did to spend a year at Princeton. Um, so, <laughs> and up with people has no Nobel prizes at this point. Right. Not so, even close to cold fusion. And, and they still have a lot of goodwill, but when they play no, their, nobody was writing the anti kind of, what is this crap uh, up with people story? Like they must've been a punchline for a huge chunk of the audience. Well, and we see it as a punchline because, you know, because REM's shiny, happy people is a, is a reference to this. Yeah. And I mean, anytime you see in popular culture someone mocking a kind of doe-eyed group of people in pastel sweaters who are true believers of a kind of, you know, uh, callow global vision of how we just need to love one another, it's always, particularly starting in the 70s, always mocking, we always thought it was mocking the Mansons or something, but it really was referencing up with people, this global group. Once they teamed up with the Super Bowl in 76, they saw a little bit of a cash cow and they performed up with people at four Super Bowls. The the last one being 1986. These were Super Bowls that I was sure watching on TV. I don't remember being evangelized by up with people, but I just watched the entire performance of up with people at the 1982 super bowl. And I have to say it was a spectacle on par with any modern one. Just because of the, the size and the scale of the show. Massive, a group of people on stage, you know, 300 kids all in pastel sweaters. And let, let me just, I, I can't help but do this. It was a tribute to the sixties <laughs> and the era they fought so hard against. If you think about 1982, this was the beginning. This was the thirties. Boomers were all in their very early thirties this was the very beginning of nostalgia. Big chill for, era nostalgia. Yeah, for, oh, the 60s, man. But here's the set list. It was a medley of 60s tunes. And I want you to just picture what you think of as a medley of 60s tunes. I'm, I'm going to imagine this playing over scenes of the, of the jungles of Cambodia. Okay. This is the end. No. They I'm, sure did not, was, I'm sure it was not that. not start with the end. Uh, it started with the twist. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. And then uh, Sieged segued into Monster Mash. 
<laughs> we uh, all remember where we were the summer of the Monster Mash. <laughs> then to Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. Uh, they played a little bit of Wipeout uh, right into Surfing USA. Now, as this you, is all coming from a certain part of the 60s. Yes, you can tell there's no uh, there's no protest movement here. And the twist is actually a 1958 song, I think, right? So, oh, but but there was a revisit of the twist. Right? I guess I guess Chubby Checker's version of it hit number one in uh, June 1960. There you go. There we go. In in, in on technicality. Uh, little GTO. We're getting to the Beach Boys and stuff. So now it's. Yep. But then Car stuff. the narrator comes out. Now, the 82 Super Bowl was held in Michigan. Okay. And so the narrator steps out a little bit, and she says, and now, you know, not only has Michigan brought us the Detroit Lions, but also Motown. Mm-hmm. And the, the uh, African-American singers step forward. And they have do, they been silent during Monster no, no, Mash? No, they've been singing. You know, they've been in the back just grooving to Monster Mash. But they step forward and they sing "Dancing in the Street." They sing "Everything Is All Right Uptight." Stevie. They do uh, "Stop in the Name of Love," "Heard It Through the Grapevine," and "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." Wow! And they kick out "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." They actually, they actually put a little bit of oomph behind that and we're kind of moving into you know from innocent girl groups into actually some racial empowerment right but that's where we that's where it stops <laughs> what we put on the brakes there and then the narrator says and it oh, and and is now talking over the chords of scarborough fair oh things got serious says and then there was also a lot of folk music and there was a lot of hootenannies folk hootenannies as people really res, you know like got into the folk movement and and she said, so here are some of the great folk classics. At which point they played Michael Row the Boat Ashore. <laughs> Remember? And Remember when Dylan plugged in and played Michael Row the Boat Ashore? The singer actually sings the verse and then goes, Everybody! <laughs> and then the whole stadium sings Michael Row the Boat Ashore. Hallelujah. I mean, you have to count on a song that we all sang in elementary school. That's right. Then they do um they went then to Has Anybody Seen Oh, uh, uh, my good friend, my good friend, Abraham, Abraham, Martin and John. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So they do Abraham, Martin and John. They're not shying away from the tough issues. Nope. And then the, the narrator goes, and now the Beatles are not here. And they do can't buy me love. All you need is love. Hey Jude. Three, the Beatles most famous, uh, (laughs) Well, it's kind of pushing a, songs. It's kind of pushing a um, a sunny yeah. "Love Is All You Need" version of the '60s. That we we it's often the sanitized Beatles and '60s we see now, right? And then they close with a big "Let the Sunshine In," and then with a culminating "Up with People." They sing their theme. "Let the Up Sunshine In" combines both hippies yeah. and black music because it's sunshine. it's the Fifth Dimension That's cover right. of of the Broadway musical and it really all of these you know i don't know how monster mash plays into it but the later stuff in this all kind of promotes this idea of what uh in the early 90s was the denzel washington future of the world where we just where there was no race and color we all just enjoyed coke luckily the vibes of the 60s solved all the problems right without actually having to think about vietnam or anything civil rights racism Eventually, up with people, which still exists. It does. I was going to ask. It is still, uh, it's still an, an alternative to college. 
uh, if, if you can pay the tuition, you can join up with people and they still do. Uh, well, where are they playing? Like Branson or? No, no, no. They're, they go. They tour? They're not, they don't think of themselves as like a Christian outreach program. They think of themselves still as a, as a global outreach for people to develop a kind of um, personal relationship with whatever God you choose as part of a, like we need to end war. Sure, but colleges are borders. not colleges are not booking them. So where are they playing? Is they're, it corporate events? No, and, they're going to India. Um, they're playing in Nigeria. Like they're they are um, they're trying to still bridge this. I I would I would I wouldn't doubt that they had played in Ukraine in the last three years. That suggests that when there's times of trouble and things are really bad, it's we in the West who have a decadent. Decadent ability to Sunshine. sneer it up with people. If things really went to shit in our society, we would need up with people just as badly as, as Nigeria and Ukraine do right now. I mean, just, it's like God in general. When things are fine, <laughs> it seems like he's a bit of a, a bit of a luxury, you know, like he's, he's a little silly. But boy, when you got your kid in the hospital, suddenly then you come crawling back. Imagine the spectacle if you're, if, if you're, if you're recovering from a flood and you and all your neighbors are sitting, you know, in the wreckage of your house, and then you go to, you're called to the, to the center of town and the soccer field in the center of town. Three hundred, you know, multi-ethnic people sing "Let the Sunshine In." Boy, that's some heavy-duty whammo. But you know, I, just to reiterate the same point, it does not make the floodwaters recede. No, absolutely not. <laughs> your house is still underwater. Some of the famouses that were in. uh up with people. I mean, there are a lot of people that went on to have uh, to play prominent roles in culture and society. They did. Most of them did not become dancers and singers. You know, it was a this was a thing, kind of like the Peace Corps almost, except if it was more about <laughs> dancing and singing. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh. But three that, uh, or I'm sorry, the 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 three that really stood out to me. Um, the first one was Glenn Close. Really spent. Seven-time Academy Award nominee Glenn Close. Spent several years in Up With People, which she later derided as a cult. Oh, really? Yeah, Glenn But that's because she has to sneer, right? Now, because it's a yeah, it's, a, it's a funny black mark on her resume, and, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel's going to ask her about it. Right, so she has to go, meh. Maybe she liked it. But I, it I, seemed like she had fun. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Birch was big in Up With People, and she went on to be a LGBTQ activist who formed the human rights campaign. And you know them because they are, their logo is the equal symbol, the yellow oh, equal symbol. The marriage equality bumper sticker. Yeah. That you see all around. They're the largest LGBTQ organization, the human rights campaign. Do you think up with people prepared her for that? Uh, I think that up it, with it, people was also an it's, it's incubator. Of of you know it was a place where gay youth could could be safe and their their parents were okay with paying the tuition right I mean there was every time uh, Jay Blanton Belk <laughs> or um, Frank Bookman was confronted with an evolution in the culture that that the culture recoiled against. They never were on the wrong side. They never said, well, we draw the line at gay people. Like, they always preached, 
Peoplehood of everyone, man. Peoplehood. They're not right. against peoplehood. And fear and selfishness are the enemy. And so if you're afraid of something, that's the that's the sign of where you need to work. So it seemed like a like a safe space. Um, but maybe the most famous veteran uh is Frank Gatson Jr., who I'm not famous in the sense of um that you've ever heard of him or or not Glenn Close famous to me in no, my house. But he was the creative director and Svengali of Beyonce oh. and Destiny's Child. He went on to be creative director for Brandy, Kelly Rowland, and Vogue, Rihanna, Jennifer Lopez. And he became a video director who did all of the, you know, all the single ladies. Like he, he directed all of the so the big ske- spectacle of Beyonce at Coachella we can all trace back to these halftime shows maybe that's right that Frank Gatson Jr. was there singing um, Ain't No Mountain High Enough or da- at least dancing and choreographing it and he went on to be a direct creator of the massive sort of R&B spectacle of the R&B stage show, stadium show spectacle of like the, all the major artists. I can't tell if this is a, I can't tell if this is an endorsement of Up with People or a or a, a, a really a, a cruel knock at modern music. That well, it, that it seems to have come from Monster Mash at the Super Bowl. Inside of everyone, Ken, there's some bad and there's some good, but don't let anybody start attacking peoplehood. I promise not to. And that concludes Up With People, entry 1376.MT0715, certificate number 53773, in the Omnibus. As products of our time, we here at Omnibus were on social media, at Omnibus Project, uh, at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick. Really, I guess the, the metaverse is the place where peoplehood is is really trodden upon the most. I feel like up with people should be more active in, in social media spheres. Wait, are you are you coming out against the metaverse, Ken? But what where how are you gonna have your meetings? Your your my virtual legless meetings. Yeah, all your meetings with your avatar that looks like a, like a round circle with some eyes and a mouth. Uh, I just think uh, all online social media is bad is bad on the peoplehood axis. Agreed. Uh and uh, really, Glenn Close and, and her friends should not stand for it. Uh, you can uh, email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Send us physical items to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Here's a fun postcard we got from Nathan complimenting us on uh, two recent shows, saying Murder of Herbert Lee and Len Billings might be our best work yet. Very diplomatic of him to choose one of, each. One of your shows and one of my mm-hmm. shows. Both are about generally obscure people, but demonstrating their importance. That's that's well summarized, yes. Nathan. It's a it's a postcard of a Tom Gold cartoon with two medieval people walk across a landscape, and the little Sancho Panza type says, "We've had our inciting incident and we're on the journey, so it seems like we'll be having a crisis any minute now." And the pilgrim with the backpack ahead of him says, "This quest was a lot more fun before you got that book on story structure." Tom, Tom Gold's a really great British cartoonist. This is a this is a fun one. Thank you so much, uh, Nathan. We hope to have more stories for you about. Here, I'll toss you the postcard. A further, so. there we go. 
on the little-known nooks and crannies of human history, like Up With People. Although, as we announced on last week's show, um, it will be one aven- one look into an avenue of human history uh, per week because it was always insane to do two a week. And it was actually just an artifact of the way ad sales were computed by iHeartMedia Heart Media back in 2017 or whatever it was. Yeah, when we, when we originated this podcast as the, the corporate shills for iHeartMedia that we were at the time, thinking that we were going to have full creative control and that they were going to be benevolent overlords. We didn't realize we were up with people of that relationship. They were going to be shoveling uh, money at us with a coal shovel. And then, and we said, well, podcasts are a once a week thing. And they were like, no, 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 no. You got to do twice a week. That it just doubles your number of views or listens. And that's the number that gets given to advertisers. Yeah. And then you get all the, all the big money. We're doing two shows a week because they were trying to trick Squarespace or trick Casper in 2016. Yeah. They held up these shiny new coal shovels with big ribbons around them. And they said, do you want the coal shovels or not? And so we were like, okay, two a week, I guess it... Wait, are the coal shovels going to contain money, or are they just literally giving us empty coal shovels? They are... They were Maltese Falcons, and Mm. the the shiny silver paint, when it rubbed off, they were actually gold shovels from the island of Malta. When you scraped off the the black enamel. We only found that. We only found that out. After we threw them away. Yeah, that's right. Oof. Um, But the thing is, you know, through our entire run... Every Tuesday, it has been a Ken show. Every Thursday, it's been a John show. I think there are still a lot of listeners that don't know that. So every time we've ever recorded, you've gone first, I've gone second. Can you imagine how different our shows would be if I recorded first and you recorded second? It's, uh, I would be the, let's see, you would be the sleepy bored one at the end while I was talking instead of the <laughs> other way around. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it I think it worked for us because in the early days of the show I never had my show finished when I arrived. So I was always Unlike today. I was always scr- frantically scribbling. Yeah, today was a little bit of a outlier. <laughs> uh we'll probably still continue that though. The shows will still alternate in the same order. They will just um Yeah, but what, they'll week just to be week. released once a week, yeah. It's true, it'll be no more Tuesday and Thursday. It'll be What day will it be? Even, Tuesday. Even numbered week. I think we might be a th- Thursday show? It might be a Thursday show just because if we keep recording on Wednesdays, this is boring behind the scenes stuff, but if we keep recording on Wednesdays, oh, we'll need to come out our, on our ad guy has has pointed out, it will give us a chance to do last minute ad recordings. I see. Yes. Okay. Thursday. So we may become a Thursday ritual for people. John wins. Thursdays are John days. Every Tuesday we'll release an hour of just white noise for people to sleep to. <laughs> Just, no, to just, keep, just, just to keep, just to keep our, da- yeah, to keep <laughs> our download numbers up, or maybe we could write an AI that would just go through. I mean, we now have, you know, 500, 600 hours of tape. We should have an AI that can go through that and just produce its own pastiche omnibus entries in our voices and release those on Tuesdays. Would it, would it be, cause there's two ways you could do that. You could take sentences and combine them <laughs> to make whole new conversations or you could really just create like no a, this would be a deep fake yeah wow where we just and you would have to listen to it for several hours to realize wait what? they actually haven't said anything that interesting about westinghouse or, or whatever they thought we were talking yeah, about. yeah what is this about how, why does mindy keep coming and it'll be it's probably the experience a lot of people have with the regular show now um but you can continue to support uh, Omnibus if you'd like it to continue. Uh, that only happens through the good graces of our super generous supporters at patreon.com slash omnibus uh, project. 
If you have not visited that site, check it out. You're missing out on a lot of perks. The addenda shows are going to be more valuable than ever now that they represent fully one-fifth of our output instead of one-ninth or whatever it is now. Right. Um, so if you are not, if you have not heard the addenda shows, there's 30, 40 of them sitting in a hopper just waiting for you to enjoy. So check out patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Find your fellow Futurelings who are probably complaining about this change and already already going through early withdrawal at the Futurelings group at Facebook and elsewhere. I'm sure there are a lot of people that currently give to Omnibus at the $2 level that are going to be complaining that they're not getting value for their money. It can cut down to $1. No, and- <laughs> do not do that. John has a house payment. Look, you're not even allowed to uh, give at the $2 level. $5 is the lowest level, so I don't know who, how, what tricksters you are. You just made up $2. You have to continue to give at the level before inflation. Where's my $2? If you were a $5, if you were a $5 uh, Mindy loves better off dead, by the way. If you were a $5 donor f- three years ago or whenever the Patreon came out, you know, Bidenflation has now made you a $6 and... 71 cent donor that's right thanks and if you, and oh if, biden and if you have if you've not upped your if you've not upped your contribution i need you to take a long look in the mirror unless you also lost your job interest and, rates going going through the roof and i've got to pay those interests no you don't you already had your home loan global interests oh that's right i'm locked into some crazy low interest rate we'll never see again in our lifetime that our kids will never have up top yeah. <laughs> boom <laughs> interest rate forgiveness that's what the Generation Z will want. But no, Generation Z, is they're not going to be belly acres. They're just going to be like, whatever. They'll be like us. They whatever. They won't own a home, so they will not be complaining about mortgages. No, they'll be living on a barge that's built out of seaweed on a raft in the middle of the ocean. Oh, and we should mention, in fact, that this very omnibus entry about Up With People was suggested by Scotty. It was his, uh, it was his request after donating at the washing bear level for six months. Thank you, Scotty, but I, we, we need more power up here on the bridge. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope you pray the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we wish you many goods and cheese and hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the office.